there are people out there. Well, I just wondered what their rationale was. And obviously, uh, I must feel strongly about it because my Apple Watch just told me that my heart rate was dangerously (laughs) high. Really? Yes. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. I am the editor of LaneyGossip.com. I'm a talk show host in Canada and also an entertainment reporter. And this is the season for me to tell you how much I dislike turkey. Uh, It's so dry. Why do people eat it? I'm Duana Taha. I am a television screenwriter and producer. Uh, And I wonder if your take on turkey means this is an episode where we will not discuss your newest kitchen appliance or hopeful purchase. No. But on this episode, we are talking about Cardi B, her honor as Billboard's Female Artist of the Year, the objection to that honor, and why she fucking deserves it. Popping pussies and all. It goes way beyond WAP, and we are here for all of it. Then we are talking about the privileged children of celebrities, specifically Cassie David, daughter of Larry David, Does it make it less privileged if you call it out right up front? We will talk about her and her new book of autobiographical essays. And then finally, probably a work dilemma a lot of people are facing right now as the holidays approach. This is Show Your Work. Okay, so you want to play my favorite game? It's it's your favorite too. You just don't know it. It's called uh, let's let's diagnose me with no medical information. Oh, I love this. Okay, I know. Um, So uh, you know, very relatable situation. I think I had today. I had a Zoom meeting, and it was like kind of medium important with a bunch of people. So I'm rooting around for a shirt to wear that's not glorified pajamas, which is what I have on now. Um, And I had this very soft, very cute uh, turtleneck that I put on uh, for my meeting. And I've never been the kind of person who like changes out of work clothes as soon as I get home. I could not rip that shit off soon enough. Like it was one minute past the hour when the meeting was finished and I'm ripping it off in my office. I cannot. And, you know, because we've all been uh, like talking exclusively about athleisure and whatnot, cannot have anything anywhere near my neck, not a hoodie that's too close not a, a neckline that's too tight, not a nothing. So is this like an age thing? Just a neck thing or what's the issue? Do you like, like a turtleneck? Okay, so I'm very particular with a turtleneck. I can't do a turtleneck uh, for too long at home. I can wear a turtleneck for hours outside the house. But, <laughs> but there's something about when you come home, you shouldn't have to have a turtleneck on. 
the neck should be exposed. Things should be able to breathe. Like I am one of those people, as you know, the minute I step in the house, I'm in my pajamas. You know this, we've lived together. Like, yes. So you are not like that. But when you're talking about your turtleneck in your meeting, I'm like, oh shit, there's no way I'm wearing a turtleneck for an extended amount of time at home. But I mean, it's so, it is the softest sweater I own. It's a cashmere. Um, like it's very like stretchy. It doesn't feel, it's not like one of those turtlenecks where you actually feel like you're scalping yourself when you have to put it on. Um, so I don't know what it is, but anything even touching my neck is a no go. Um, and I remember in the summer when we were talking with all our friends about, you know, which of a million matching sets do you have that I said, Oh, I, they were sold out of this sweatshirt. So I bought this one and cut the neck out and people were shocked. Like, why would you cut a cozy neck out? And I, I can't do it. I can't live with anything anywhere near my neck. Is there a name for this? Um, what is the name for it? Like crew neck allergy? I don't know. Like even uh, like something that has a crew neck is a real case by case for me. But I also think it's part of your personality. You are a free baller. Uh, generally, yeah, but not yeah. like... Yeah, but I'm not like, I don't need to be braless all the time. I don't need to be like, I wear a very uncomfortable pant or I did in the before times, um, you know, and, and whatnot. It's just, there's something about the neck that really makes me, uh, like suffocating and uncomfortable and, and almost close to a full on freak out. I, yeah, I would diagnose this as you have, um, like you have free ball tendencies. You're like a dude I, who can't have his boxers too tight because he has to, like, uh, his balls have to breathe. Your, like, neck has to breathe. Okay, I was looking for something <laughs> a bit more generalized here. Let's say, because I know this is super fun for you to be like, let me tell you all the ways that you're a weirdo. But if it was somebody else who came here and said to you, I have a neck problem, what would your diagnosis be what the 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 way to properly diagnose someone is to like do a 360 diagnosis and ascertain their lifestyle their personality all of that free ball syndrome is not an actual thing (laughs) you're a free necker had a a physical reaction you're a free necker and it it came out you manifested it physiologically but you're a free necker I, I mean, I'll, I'll subscribe to that like personality trait, but I still don't think that's what's going on here. That said, V-necks for life. Like, yes, I, I want the freedom. I can't have anything up in, up in here in any way, shape or form. And like the worst is like, like mock necks. You know, people have that zipper all touching yes. your trachea. I, I can't. I don't like a mock neck zip, zipper either because I don't like how the, like the zip is always like, I feel like it's scratching my chin. Absolutely. Or touching your, like, we don't have an Adam's apple, but whatever that is. And like, yeah, yeah no, it's, it's terrible. And it no, doesn't no, 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 move no, no. properly. It's bad. Bad, 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 bad. Yeah. But if I had my way, any given hooded sweatshirt would also have a big ass notch down the neck to prevent from accidental strangulation. All right. Freenecker. Are you ready? Freeneckers <laughs> unite. Call me. Let's, let's start it up. Okay. So. Let's talk about Cardi, who we actually have not talked about on Show Your Work before. Ever? Which is shocking to me. I don't think we have dedicated, like we have dedicated time 
she may have come up right in conversation about somebody else but i do not think that we have had dedicated space for cardi cardi b welcome to your headliner Oh, wait, wait. Maybe we talked about her when we talked, but I don't think it was like dedicated to just her, but we did discuss, you know, her past um, and the the dancing, the stripping. And I think she may have had an incident where, I don't know, whatever. She said she robbed a dude. Oh, yeah, yeah. We did talk about that for sure. Yeah. But it wasn't like a dedicated Cardi show your work situation. It was like a I don't know. It came up in another context. You know, it's so funny because I was really like raising my eyebrows at you uh, when you were saying she had a past, like too much the crown, like you're talking about Camilla Parker Bowles, (laughs) her past. But yes, confessing to robbing a dude. uh, I think there was also some like drugging involved. That counts as a past. So fair enough. Yeah. But we're talking about Cardi because Billboard has named her uh, the female artist of the year. And there were some people who had issues with why she would be the female artist of the year. Sorry, back it up. Yeah. Who? Like, I I really actually, I'm not doing this for the sake of narrative through lines. I actually, who had an issue with this? Like, I don't don't mean names, but really? Yeah. Okay. On what grounds? That she only, I say only in quotes, released the biggest song of the year at least the top two, <laughs> like in okay. the top two. <laughs> okay. I, like, I'm sorry that I interrupted you. I know you were like on your way to like a full sentence, but first of all, it's the most fucked year on earth. But second of all, who would you put in her place? Who are you going to try and tell me is the, uh, is the other artist of the year? I would say, I think a close second would be her, um, her partner on WAP, who well, is Megan sure. Thee Stallion. Yeah. Yes. And that's fine. But that's not like those are, uh, what is that thing? Like a rising tide floats all boats. Not that all uh, black women who are rappers are a monolith or anything like that. But like it, it okay, you could make a, a very similar case for either woman. Yes. Who else Correct. is there? Uh, Ariana. Taylor, I guess. No, Um, there's no Ariana. Anyway, like I'm not playing this game with you because I'm not one of those people. I 100% fully support Cardi as the woman of the year. I'm just saying clearly since she decided to make uh, a response to it, there are people out there. Well, I just wondered what their rationale was. And obviously, uh, I must feel strongly about it because my Apple Watch just told me that my heart rate was dangerously (laughs) high. (laughs) Really? Yes. Look, and all like, the uh-oh. times of all the things that we've screamed about on this show, that thing has not gone off except for, but I, you do really love WAP. I, yeah. <laughs> I, yes. Yes. But it's not all I love about Cardi or about this story. Right. So this really is focused on her Instagram video answering uh, her detractors as to whether or not she is deserving of Billboard's Female Artist of the Year honor. Um, It's amazing. Um, Yes. (laughs) And so we will play it and we will unpack. 
morning y'all it's your girl cardi b and yes i am a woman of the year and for you cry babies like what she only got one song yeah i got that song bitch you know um the one that sold the most the one that streamed the most the one that had republicans crying on fox news about it um the one that have a song that's about to be six time platinum in three months the one that had your grandma popping her pussy on tiktok yeah bitch that one i mean uh why don't you begin duanna well, you know what I mean? The thing is that it's one of those things, if you don't listen, you miss half of it, right? Like yeah. there's, uh, there's, yeah, it's me. Yeah, I had that song, that song that has your grandma twerking on Twitter. Like that in and of itself alone would be enough of a clapback, Right. And also enough to take the honor. Like if you, everybody, if you did something that was so amazing that grandmas were popping their pussies on TikTok, you deserve the Billboard Woman of the Year Award. Because I can tell you that none of us, have you ever done anything, Duana, to make grandmas pop their pussies on TikTok? Not to my knowledge. So there. It is a thing. Right. And, and uh, you know, Grandmas and their pussies aside. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> like, there's... It's not just that it was the song of the year. It became an anthem, anthem for everything that is happening this year, which is not insubstantial, right? Like, everything about the tone of the video and the the song and the sort of attitude that's espoused within... Um, like it was, it was a perfect song at a perfect time, right? Perfect song at the perfect time. And everything about, uh, as you said, thematically what the song is about on so many layers, as you said, reflects, reflects uh, more than just something you hear on the radio, more than oh, what yeah. you dance to in the club. It is what art is supposed to do. And I, there are a lot of people who are, I don't know, fussed and whatnot and don't want to call it art, but is it making you think? As she says in her, her you know, speech there, as she, did, did it make you think? Did it make people upset? Did it make people uncomfortable? Why were they uncomfortable? Did it, uh, did it challenge norms? Did it challenge uh, the way that we expect women to behave. All of those things. A three-minute song, piece of art did that. That is the purpose of creati creativity. And it's enduring. You know, um, I'm trying to find, I'm scrolling, uh, unless you know off the top of your head. It was, re it was released on August 7th. It was released on my birthday. Um, so thank you for that. But also- Happy, happy birthday, wet-ass pussy. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but it's still organically coming up in conversation several months later, right? Like it's still the thing. I cannot remember what I saw on Twitter yesterday or two hours ago. It all blends. But uh, that was like still in the face of everything that has happened in the last calendar year, people are still invoking uh wet ass pussy and WAP and Cardi B as like what's wrong with the left and the Democrats and so forth organically. It has become the totem for uh, what is between the left and the right, if you will.
And so I think, go ahead. Well, no, I just think like, that's what elevates something to an iconic status. You know, it's, it's, uh, I can't tell you off the top of my head what that song was in 2019 or 2015 for that matter, but it's the one that is part of the conversation, not just a bop in the car. Yeah. And in particular, part of the conversation that even though much of it may not be meant for women like us, um, it is for a community that has been for a long time stripped of their agency over their body, their joy, their ability to ask for what they want, enjoy what they want without so much judgment and policing. And that would be a Black woman's body. Absolutely. Um, And it is unequivocally for and about a Black woman's body. But I think, too, the reason that it is so iconic is because, and this is the best of any entertainment, right? It Mm -hmm. does not have to be for you, for you to enjoy it and identify with it and or uh, be alarmed by it if you are, uh, you know, a terrified white Republican senator. Sorry. Well, it does the things that we have always talked about and has been a running theme on our show and will always be a running theme when we talk about work, specific and universal. Specifically, uh, Cardi and Megan Thee Stallion are arguing for Black women to appreciate their bodies, for Black uh, celebration of Black women's bodies. And that is a very specific demographic and it is theirs for sure. But the universality of that is women in general who feel like they've been policed, who feel that their their pleasure has had restrictions on it, that their pleasure should be dictated by how they should experience pleasure. It is something that is instantly recognizable. So when we talk about why this song, as you said, is iconic and this song launched Cardi to that honor, I mean, what more, what more of a defense do we need to, to, to bring? Well, exactly. We could stop the discussion there mm-hmm. and have a pretty solid argument. And I'd feel yeah. fine about it. And I think you would too. But she goes on. Yes. And when she goes on, it's my favorite part. And on top of that, but like for over a year, you know what I'm saying? I've been influencing using my platform for y'all to vote. Not just when Joe Biden was going against Trump. I've been informing y'all about y'all senators. I've been informing y'all about district, midterm elections, uh, using my money, my own money to meet up with these candidates like Bernie, flying out, tired after shows. Yeah, that's me, bitch. Even when y'all was crying, like, but you don't represent us. Yes, I do, bitch. I represent America. Okay. And I wanted to change. And that's exactly what the fuck I did. And um, eat it up. I'm just that bitch. Eat it up with a spoon so I can get a mouthful. Okay. So your favorite part is? My favorite part is that whole second half. Because it's not an accident that uh, all these, I kept invoking like Republican senators and whatnot. It's not an accident that they are even aware of a song that would otherwise be so far outside a lot of people's recognition except to clutch their pearls at because Cardi has made it her business to be in a political space where a lot of people didn't expect her. And God, it was good. It has been good. 
And if you follow Cardi, this didn't come out of nowhere. I mean, it didn't start with, you know, the Republican or sorry, the Democratic primaries um, over the last, let's even call it generously, year or 18 months. It started a few years ago when she did an interview with a magazine and she was talking about presidential history. Um, And she was talking about understanding like the finance system. And the writer was like, okay, well, here's, you know, the hottest new rapper in the game. Uh, she used to work the poll. And um, and it it wasn't, I, I want to say to you that it wasn't, and the writer was, um, the writer was uh, Katie Weaver, by the way, for mm-hmm. GQ. And it wasn't done in a way that it was like, condescending where she was like, oh, look, this rapper who used to, you know, strip knows about presidents and politics and civics and all of that. It was... No, 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 everybody. If you see her as just the hottest thing in the rap game, then you are underestimating this person. And so the groundwork had been laid from then. And that's when she was like, that's right. I'm successful now. I have a megaphone. And this is what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about sometimes in the SUV when I'm like leaving somewhere and my pants are too tight, I'm going to tell you that, fuck, my pussy can't breathe. And then five minutes later, I'm going to say, Hey, this is why I believe in Bernie. Um, and when I when Bernie is not the candidate anymore, and I my candidate is isn't running, I'm going to tell you about the other candidate and why this is a, a viable option. The groundwork was laid. She did it. Absolutely. And um, it's not for us in the same way that you were saying that WAP is not necessarily for us. Her article in GQ. Uh, with Katie Weaver, is not to tell us what we might need to know about presidential history, um, but it is to provide a window through which people who have been disenfranchised, people who have not uh, felt like they've been heard, where she can ask questions for those people. And her uh, Instagram Live with Bernie was really, really clear on that. She's very clear that she understands the issues but she's also going to translate them for uh, Mm -hmm. an audience who trusts her, even if they don't trust politicians. Like she had and has had her goal and her audience in mind the whole time she's doing this. She's not talking politics to stroke her own ego. No. And this is not to say Cardi is perfect, right? Cardi has made mistakes. No, but but she's different. That's what we're saying. Yeah. No, and the reason I say that is not because I want to challenge you, is because inevitably we're going to get the people who you always say, who? Well, they're coming, who will say, yeah, but, you know, those people, yeah, but she did this that one time. Yes, she did this that one time, but I think if WAP and Cardi show us anything, people, human beings, but especially women, are allowed to have layers and be complicated. Again, You can pop your pussy and then five minutes later, you can be on with Bernie talking about um, healthcare and talking about taxation and talking about all those things that she's clearly informed on. Yeah, but she made this mistake for sure. Has Cardi shown us her ability to grow constantly? And she's going to make more mistakes. And so are you. And so am I. And so is everybody that we like. Um, but the point is she's doing this and releasing this information in a way that's different than other people have, right? The celebrity political job for the last, I don't know, 15 years, maybe 
has been to look earnestly into the camera, look as cool as you can and say, vote, vote, which look, we need that also. I get it. But she's doing something else. Um, Indulge me in a 20 second digression. Uh, My sister, who is a very nerdy, smart person, um, has a job title that I love. Her job title is knowledge broker. And basically, she reads uh, deep scientific documents that you or I could not parse or comprehend. And she breaks them down for clients who need to know them in manageable bits. Yeah. That to me is what Cardi is doing here. She was being a political knowledge broker. Mm -hmm. um, And she's taken it on herself to do so. And as you say, not just with the Democratic primary, not just when it was Biden versus Trump. Um, I went back to her uh, her COVID-19 seminar, I called it, back at the end of March, uh, when she was uh, on Instagram telling people about why they needed to wear masks and addressing the confusion at that time of celebrities being like, but I'm fine, but it's no big deal. I also was tickled that she referred to other people as celebrities, um, <laughs> which is amazing. But she instinctively knows and has known that people need somebody to do this. And she's not being paid, right? Like, as she points out, it's her own expense. She's yeah. doing this because she thinks it's important shit to talk about. And we've heard Kathleen say this. I'm paraphrasing. But she has said as other black women have said, that just my existence, and I'm talking about black women, just my existence is, like, the fact that I exist is political. Mm-hmm. That's right. To be yeah. black and female yes. in a space. Yes. That's right. And so Cardi also lives in a space where she doesn't have the luxury of being apolitical. No, you're absolutely right. Yes. Being apolitical is a choice that some people can make and some people don't have. Which brings us directly back to your point about WAP and the discussions therein and the celebration and elation at a black woman's body and how it should be worshipped is also political. It's, It's exactly your point. There are other artists, you know, this year who have released songs about sex, about getting down and dirty and horny. For example, off the top of my head, Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber released a song called Yummy this year. Great, fine, whatever. But the thing, I know. But the thing about- Well, but yeah. Okay. All right. right? Okay. And this is my point though. The thing about Yummy is that it carries zero political connection, zero social connection, it doesn't have, it doesn't land in the same way because of that difference in privilege, right? That luxury of being able to exist without having your existence be politicized. And it is, it's a male gaze lens, right? That's Justin Bieber singing about like, I think you're yummy. You have this and that, and that makes you yummy. It, It, whatever. I'm sure there are people who like that song separately from this discussion, but part of the glory of wet ass pussy is that it is all from the woman's lens, not coincidentally. That's exactly what makes people 
freak out about it. Mm-hmm. Um, not coincidentally, that's why Cardi is doing what she's doing in asking all these questions. She's overtly putting them through the intersectional lens of a woman who is black, who is, uh, you know, in uh, certainly privileged at this point, but aware of what it is not to be privileged. Uh, certainly in her in her COVID seminar, she was talking about how are people going to stay inside when they have nine people inside an apartment? That kind of idea. Um, she is absolutely making those lenses that have been less apparent more public and more clear. And it's not just a privilege reserved for men. Um, I will say Lana Del Rey got into some controversy and trouble earlier this year when she was like, you know, no other female artists get into trouble for, you know, addressing the things that I do in my music. And, um, you know, she was called out and rightly so when people were like, "Um, I'm sorry, black women, when they sing about the same shit that you sing about are way more attacked And as Cardi addressed in her video, she had Republican pundits, conservative pundits, traditionalists, whatever, saying that she was bringing about the demise of women and it was just for shock value and how dare they. Um, So when she was a talking point on Fox News to the very millions of people, and we already know Fox News ratings are higher than any other news organization, um, they're putting her out there as a target. Lana wasn't making the news. Um, And so when we talk about how some artists can do it without it being politicized on the stage that black female artists are, um, this is something, it's still a risk. You know, she might be making money and it is great for her to go to number one, but it is still a risk because her very existence is politicized. Yeah, because the underlying thesis of those segments on Fox News or wherever is, can you believe this woman had the audacity to say Mm -hmm. this, to talk about this topic? Yeah. Nobody's talking like that about Lana Del Rey. And to be fair, it's not just from the right and the white. It is also from like the black community, the hip hop community, especially in the way that the hip hop community has been so misogynist, right? Um, what male rappers have been able to get away with, the lyrics. Um, and and for a woman to take over that game, first of all, it's not a space that has been traditionally welcome to women. There's not a lot of space for women. It's usually only one at a time. We're living at a time when we've got two, three, four up and coming, and that's really exciting. But yes, I don't want to ignore the part of the conversation where even though probably we don't, you and I, as non-Black people have the nuance and having spent, I mean, that's not our community. There is enough literature and enough knowledge out there to be able to talk about the hip hop community as a space that hasn't been very welcoming to women, hasn't been very friendly to women, has sometimes been dangerous to women. And so for a Black woman to go into that space, run it down, um, topple it, and do it basically through her wet ass pussy, is also a disruption in that area too. Absolutely. Uh, And underlining that if they're not going to give you that space and that platform, that you have to take it. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. 
If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. Next, Kazi David. Who? Kazi David is the daughter of Larry David. And let's be clear here, C-A-Z-Z-I-E, Kazi. Right. Uh, that may have been an unfair introduction. I perhaps should have introduced her as author, writer, uh, culture critic. Well, but look, though, I mean, it, it, you have a question mark at the end of each of those titles. Um, and that's kind of what we're talking about, right? Yeah. She, yeah, so she does have a book, uh, just came out last week. No one asked for this is the name of it. Uh, and it is a book of essays. Um, like many, a funny woman before her, uh, she has written a, a funny book of essays. Right. And she did an interview with the LA Times, Mm -hmm. promoting the book, Mm -hmm. um, talking about, you know, the process of writing it, her anxiety about writing it, her anxiety about her identity, specifically being her father's daughter. Um, All of that is poured into the book, presumably. I've read one of the essays, which was excerpted, I believe, in the cut. Um, She's funny. She definitely has a voice. But the main thing in this essay that we actually ended up sending to each other, I think, right? Mm. Um, Or sorry, Mm -hmm. the main thing about this article, this interview with the LA Times that we actually ended up sending to each other was, you know, she is, you can see it jumping off the page. She is almost apologetic for being her father's daughter. And yet trying not to be and wondering if she should be. It's a really interesting space to live. Specifically in being the daughter. uh, And I'm clarifying this only because of the tone of her book. um, Specifically being the daughter of somebody who is exceedingly successful and wealthy and well-regarded. And I make that distinction because, uh, you know, it's also about being kind of a misanthrope which Larry David also is, which, you know, in theory, she comes by uh, genetically honestly. (laughs) That's right. And it's not like, my God, up and down the street, we have now the children of famous people doing what their parents did and entering the industry. And it's, I I don't even know, like, if it's worth the energy of, of rolling your eyes over. It just happens. It happens over and over again. But in this specific instance, because of Larry David's whole brand and, you know, the things that he's criticized, what he's known for. Um, and, you know, Kazi growing up, knowing what people say, what the criticisms are, perhaps having criticisms, cr- criticisms about those same things towards other people. She's writing around and in and through all of this. Um, and now it's her work. 
Yeah. Like in case uh, you are, you know, we talk about Larry David and uh, we talk about SNL often enough that one would assume that he's a household name, but he is an old man at this point. Uh, Larry David is one of those people who's made a career out of being a self-hating celebrity. Like he's a great writer and he's had lots of successes and whatnot, but the Larry David brand that you talk about is him hating Hollywood bullshit and also kind of being wrapped up in Hollywood bullshit. Right. Um, And so she, one of the quotes in the article that you talk about is her more or less apologizing to her father for being another spoiled Hollywood brat, but then also being, I don't want to call her a spoiled Hollywood brat. I don't know anything about her, but also being somebody for whom, you know, doors have been opened. No question. Yeah. So what happens when you are the child of someone who is very successful and you happen to want to step into the same space and it happens to be writing that that requires reflection, perspective, criticism, objectivity? I mean, I have to be honest. First of all, it always floors me that so many of these people do, right? Like... We could list dozens without even blinking. Um, The fact that you do follow in the footsteps of your parents when your parents are Judd Apatow or, uh, God, I don't know, um, Reese Witherspoon or Cindy Crawford or, uh, you know, keep it going, whomever, Um, Emilio Estevez, et cetera. Um, It has to mean that objectively, uh, these that you see how much fun uh, these careers can be, or maybe that you see only the good and not the bad mm-hmm. and the struggle because you grew up that way. Because you'd think that every kid is going to be like, oh, I want to get as far from that as possible. And the fact that they don't, that they go into it knowing what people are going to say about being a spoiled celebrity's kid, like obviously the pull is strong, right? Right. And then where Cassie is concerned, the pull is strong, but then you come from this stock, as you said, the self-hating stock. So there's another layer of like, can I do this? Am I really good? I don't know if I'm really good. Maybe I'm shit. I'm probably shit. I hate myself, but I think I'm good. I don't know. Right. Um, But the thing is that this is kind of what I love about fighting to get into stupid businesses. And I'm sure that there is a world in which getting into tech and entrepreneurship in that world is kind of the same. You have to believe that you're great in order to fight your way through all the doors and jump through all the hoops and deal with the stupidity that happens. And along the way of all those closed doors, you kind of go, oh, maybe I'm not as good as I thought, or I have to get better or so forth. Like if we really boil down the uh, entitlement issue or whatever of celebrity kids, it's that whatever raw talent they have, they don't necessarily have to prove it or fight through as many doors, right? The, the, they need an hour with their parents' cell phone. That's it. But I have to say what I like about Cassie's approach seems really basic bitch, which is that she just puts it all on the table. Yep. Here it is. Here are all my, like all my inner conflicts. This is, this is the running monologue through my head. 
she's not protesting. Wait, get to know me and you'll see that I'm not riding on anybody's coattails. She's yeah. quite open about some coattails. Yeah. And we've had examples of celebrity children who've, who've gone out of their way to be like, you know what? It wasn't easy for me. Okay. Like, you know, walking in their expectations and I had to live up to those expectations and that's not easy either. And a lot of us, you know, the reaction was roll your eyes. Kazi's not taking that approach. She's like, uh-huh, I know what you're thinking. And the thing is, I'm thinking it too. But here's the thing. I want to do this. So what, what do I do? What would you propose that I do? I'm just going to do it, but doubt myself along the way. Since you're doubting me too, I might as well join you. Right. And so, you know, I mean, maybe there's no greater argument for reading the book, right? Because um, in the LA Times article, there's uh, sort of a, a juxtaposition constructed where it's like she, you know, I don't want to be seen as some bratty LA celebrities kid, but also she wanted, uh, you know, she took a job on Curb Your Enthusiasm to learn the ropes, right? Yeah. And so then the the us, the the layman go, well, if you had all that advantage and all those shortcuts, you better have learned something. You better have, have like shown that you benefited from it somehow, right? Yeah. And arguably, that's what the book is, is to show how and whether she has some sort of unique perspective. I guess that's what it is. If you're going to do that and you're going to advertise it, I want you to have some sort of unique perspective. Me too, but I also really already, I'm already appreciating that I can see um, how, like, I can see what a hard time she's having. I don't want her to have a hard time, but, you know, there are some people who read that and and, and would say like, well, she just said out of one side of her mouth that she doesn't want to get ahead just because of who her dad is. And then she took the internship at Curb Your Enthusiasm. So fuck you. But to me, I read it as, like another layer of almost shame. Like, yeah, I wanted to do this, but I didn't want to be this, but I just did it anyway. Cause like, wouldn't you? Because at the end of the day, wouldn't you? I mean, look, yeah. Would I take that opportunity? Absolutely. I would, but it's like, forgive me for the lazy metaphor. I'm tired, but like with great power comes great responsibility, right? So with great access and, and powerful connections come great expectations. Like, have you lived up to them? Can you live up to them? She knows they're there, obviously. Um, or more than great expectations, great expectations that she won't measure up, right? So then the question becomes, are you like, are you going to change our minds? And are you ready at 26? That's the other part of it, right? Like Cassie David before this book is most famous for um, dating Pete Davidson right before Ariana Grande. That's interesting for sure. Um, but does it give you greater insight into the human condition or into privilege or like the accidents of birth or whatnot? I don't know. But when you write a book, you're telling me, that maybe, yeah, you do have more perspective. So let's see it. So what are the keys that you're looking for then in this book? Uh, I'm looking for, uh, I want to see an acknowledgement of uh, the parts of her that privilege won't or cannot solve. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to see an acknowledgement of uh, maybe times when it was easy for her. Like, God, there are a million reasons why uh, Lena Dunham is deservedly people's like favorite person. I to was hate. wondering how long it would be before Lena's name came up, because I think that that is the specter haunting a lot of these stories and a lot of these these people who are in that similar ish overlapping Venn cohort. Absolutely. Um, but I think the reason that people resent Lena Dunham in uh, over and above a number of offensive things that she has said or done like in the press since she's been famous in her own right um, is that she tried to say, no, I was just like, you know, HBO gave me a show because they just loved me so much. And what came out, of course, years later is that she sold the show on a page and three quarters of a pitch. There was nothing there. There was no work there. There was nothing there to go. Oh yeah, you are actually exponentially better than your peers. Um, there was no there there. And so I think that is what's hanging over Cassie David's head. Is there anything there? What do you think about the honor of like, should she have changed her name? Like I'm thinking about Tracy Ellis Ross, who obviously we know to be Diana Ross's daughter, but who, you know, it, it, went in a different direction, so it didn't trade on it. Ross is a common enough name that you don't immediately jump there. Like, would we feel differently about this if she wrote under some pseudonym? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. I feel like that would just be almost gimmicky. You know, and I think that part of this is like, because again, a lot of this writing and a lot of this inner turmoil that she's working through is about identity. So you throw a pseudonym and another layer of identity on top of it. And I think it just means that it takes longer to get to the heart of all the things that you're looking for. Yeah, that's, that's fair enough. Um, and I guess the question will be, and if you've read it, please let us know. Um, whether any level of self-deprecation or examination is enough to make the legs up that she openly acknowledges uh, worth it, or whether it's enough for anything to have leveled the playing field, so to speak. And at the end of the day, maybe this is, maybe some, some people might see this as too generous of a read, or I don't know, maybe too mean, but like, don't you think that she would have wanted to go and be an architect if that was, if she could, it's almost like, you know, the way that she's talking about it, or at least the way that I, from what I've read so far is that she's, she's actually saying, fuck, I didn't want to do this either. Uh, but I mean, even that is like, imagine the, uh, oh, poor you, you didn't want the, <laughs> almost certainly six-figure advance for this book. Um, I guess what I suspect about Cassie David or anybody who's raised by Larry David is there's no criticism that we can make that she hasn't made of herself already. She's not deluded as other people we might have mentioned in this conversation might be. Yeah. Um, and so therein lies maybe the, the, the loophole. You know, if if 
I can get there before you can on any criticism, then maybe my <laughs> self-assessment is more worth listening to. Read it. If you are going to read it, let us know what you think. And let us know what you think before reading it, too, and what you're going into it hoping for and what you were surprised by. And finally, we wanted to get into the mailbag this week because we got a really interesting question from a listener. Um, we will uh, give them a fake name. You are the name uh, therapist, Joanna, so assign a name, please. Uh, fine. Henrietta. All right. Henrietta writes, my manager has sent an invite to her other managers to get together for the holidays for lunch. They felt this entire time is just a hindrance to their lifestyle and COVID is not serious to them or their social set. Their kid is still having sleepovers, trick-or-treating, etc. Considering COVID and where I live, I feel this is socially tone deaf. Head office has done a good job at being proactive and keeping people home. We're expected to remain virtual until July, and they're providing funds for teams to have some virtual fun and food safety at or food safely at home. The rest of my colleagues run when this person beckons, despite their personal thoughts. One of my peers told me the week before that she didn't feel safe taking her family into a restaurant, but then ran to go with our manager out to eat as soon as they asked. I'm not going to go, but I feel like I'm being hindered and looked down upon for doing the right thing, given the environment we're living in. In my state, things are bad. There are over 50 deaths a day with thousands infected here daily. The county I live in had to have a new rating from the CDC because it's that bad. I want to go to HR or something, anything, as I feel this is just gross negligence on the manager's part. What are your thoughts? How should I navigate these touchy waters? Great work question because I think a lot of people, not a lot, hopefully not a lot, but I think this might resonate with many people as we approach the holidays and as COVID is in fucking sane in a lot of places, especially like in North America, Canada and the US, we're in it. Yeah. And I think it is probably more common than we think. Um, you know, Henrietta and her uh, cohort have been working virtually, it sounds like. But I can see this happening in people who are all at a workplace, um, maybe one where they're required to come in, but that doesn't require a lot of contact with others or so forth, that you might sort of have groupthink among yourselves. So I imagine this is much more common than we think. Yeah. So... What do we advise to Henrietta? Well, first of all, if you are so inclined, I would acknowledge that if there is still somewhere for them to go out, then that's part of the issue, right? Like there mm -hmm. is such confusing messaging about stay home, but here are the places that are open and uh, the restrictions are no more than six people at this time or five people or whatever, or curfews at 10 o'clock but stay home. Well, then why are you telling me what bars are open? Right? Yeah. Like this is the constant refrain. It's hard. Um, beyond that, of course, it is tricky. Is it your impression that she's already said, no, thanks, I'm not going? Or 
that uh, or that she's just made her personal decision? It's my impression that she's uh, stayed away from previous multiple other events Mm -hmm. and is getting the sense based on those declines that should she decline this, and she has already made her decision, I sense, that it's it's continuing to look, quote, bad on her. And this is this is like the the um this is like an extension and even like a magnification of an already existing problem in workplaces where some people do go out for work drinks after, right? And mm-hmm. other people can't because they have to return home to their families, or maybe they just don't feel like it. Like, I already spend all day with you people. I do not want a happy hour with you. Or for whatever reason, my commute is really long. I can't stay downtown with you. There are a whole bunch of reasons where there are some people who feel left out of the social work activities. And as a result, they fall behind on updates. They don't get to develop the chemistry that other people develop. And that ends up manifesting itself in promotions or special projects or whatever. And this, the COVID thing and this like lunch and holidays probably is making Henrietta feel like um, all of that that already exists in normal times, quote, is just going to be magnified. Well, yeah, because this this recruiting manager, this organizing manager is clearly the boss of them all. Yes. In that if you know, if crazy Wesley, who nobody talks to, is like, hey, let's all go out for dinner, everybody would have like a side channel on Slack about crazy Wesley, right? Yeah. Like this person is either overtly the boss or, uh, you know, that other word that means not overtly, um, the person with all the influence and power, right? Like it's clear just from the read. So yeah, what do you do? A, how do you handle it? And B, mm-hmm. do you go to HR? Let's tackle that first. Um, generally, I don't think that HR is the move here. Not HR in and of itself, although it depends based on your like what your office structure is like and who we're talking about. If it's an actual department in HR, then yeah, I agree with you. If it's one person and uh, it's a, you know, an office of 20 people and you've always thought that that person in HR was kind of a reasonable human, then they might be able to handle it in a sensitive way. Right. Yeah. I think like also it's not the reason I was asking about whether she's declined or not is because I do think people need to get down with the fine art of lying. If you know, if if you need a reason to get out of it, this is the perfect time to invent an ant with a, you know, with a, a vulnerable, uh, immune system or a something or some reason why you just can't, not that you need an excuse to actually protect yourself and, you know, your entire community and global community, but there's there's no reason you cannot lie and say, oh, I can't because just in case. I do think that there, what the thread here though, that like is underneath this, that Henrietta is, is, uh, hasn't like named outright, but this is really what we're getting at is do you snitch, right? Is this a compromise of work safety, uh, by a manager? And the thing is, is that 
I do, I do wonder if it speaks to a larger issue of whether or not we whistleblow, we call out inappropriate behavior in the workplace. If we can draw certain parallels between COVID violations and other workplace safety and anti-harassment violations. And we have talked before about HR and the fact that there are a lot of people who don't trust HR with respect to all of you who work in HR, because essentially you are an arm of the company. Your job is always to protect the company and sometimes employees don't feel safe. So that is my inclination of not going to HR on this. But where like a violation of workplace safety is happening, How does this fit in with our larger conversation of calling out bad workplace habits when someone is in a power position? Right. And that's why, to me, the question is not, do you snitch? Because clearly she wouldn't have written in if she didn't think this was wrong and theoretically snitchable. It's about how. Right. That's why I asked. Like, yeah, the immediate thing is to lie to get out of the lunch. That's, yeah, love that. Okay. And then going forward, what are we doing? Um, I also really enjoy, and it totally depends on your dynamics in a given group, but I really enjoyed the play dumb. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, um, are, what place are you going to? I didn't think that there was any place that had, you know, enough tables for eight people to be six feet apart or... Uh-huh. Um, you know, oh, I thought that the restrictions meant that we couldn't do that. You're not overtly saying you are a rules flouting dick, yeah. but yeah, you play dumb to get them to say, oh, well, who cares? Um, and yeah. it may be that that's irrelevant in Henrietta's case that these people are saying, you know, I see this as an infringement on my lifestyle. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, it's it's worth trying uh, if your situation is sort of materially similar but has some different details than Henrietta's. It's worth trying the play dumb to see how that goes. I agree with that. Lie, then play dumb. Um, and then I would say, uh, and I think that we should approach this episodically, so maybe we can continue this next week, Henrietta, <laughs> when you give us an update. But I think Also, what it's important to remember, as we've learned through so many conversations about workplace safety, is numbers are important. You may feel like you are alone right now in what you're noticing and how uncomfortable you are, but I really don't think you are. I think that one person you cited who ran off despite their discomfort is one thing, but you may be able to sniff out other people and find that solidarity so that you don't have to do this alone. Um, And that whatever decision is undertaken going forward to either report this or address it is not something that you have to do. And hey, frankly, one day it may be. Um, God knows a lot of people have struck out courageously by themselves, but find the numbers, see if they're there. Yeah. And I think that that would be, that would be my MO if they were all in the same place. If you, if, if this was a different time and you had some other issue with this manager, I think it's really easy to kind of skulk in hallways and make significant eye contact with, you know, people who Mm -hmm. you think might be sympathetic. Um, Zoom and remoteness makes it so much more difficult 
Um, I do think that there's, there's also, you know, part of the issue if you did go to HR or any other snitch line is I'm not sure if what they are doing flouts the rules where you are or just the conventions, because then my answer is different. Um, because if it is flouting the rules, for example, I would also end around and I'm ready to be yelled at for this. Um, if it flouts the rules, only if it flouts the rules, I would tattle on the restaurant or the place rather than Mm. the people. If the restaurant gets busted, right. Then they get in theory, you know, I know they don't the cops don't storm in there like this is a raid. Although uh, New York magazine had some articles about underground parties where exactly that happened. Yeah. But if that's the case, then your colleagues get busted without it being pinned back to you. Right. Right. Because of course the other part about you saying people have been brave, they struck out on their own is um, of course that has happened, but this is such a precarious time work-wise. People are in such uncertain positions in so many ways that it's fair enough for you to go, I don't want to endanger my my work position right now. Yeah. And yeah, and that's what's so tricky, right? Like, and it always is tricky to do the right thing in these kinds of situations as like, you know, We've been having for the last few years about Me Too, and certainly over this year, especially it's come to the forefront in Hollywood with workplace injustices and equality, who wants to be the one to come forward? But once one person comes forward, then we see that lots and lots of people shared those views. So Henrietta, take it step by step. You know, marinate on the ideas that we've sort of floated here with you. Um, let's see if we, can tur- if we can turn this into a series. Henrietta's journey. Oh, I have one more suggestion. Oh, go. If your group is kind of super chatty anyway, if you do spend a lot of time on Slack or Zoom or whatever, um, see if you can Henrietta yourself, which is to say, um, Make up a situation that is one step more egregious than what your colleagues are planning and propose it as a hypothetical to your colleagues or find an am I the asshole on Reddit that is applicable, you know, and go, what would you guys do? Do you think this is so crazy that these people are still whatever, holding a pageant Mm. or this or that and see if you don't get a couple of them to turn that way? Ah, I love that. I know you do because you love some devious plans. I love a schemer. Yep. I love a schemer. You're, you're a freenecker and a schemer. That's what we've learned today. I will take it. If this episode is not named Freenecker Schemers, I'm going to quit. All right. That wraps up this episode. But for our next episode, we'd love to get into more mailbag. And we're going to answer some of your questions about suggestions as to what to watch during the holiday season now that Um, we're spending extra, extra lots of time at home. Um, So another installment of what we would recommend is coming up. Let us know what you would like us to recommend. That always helps. Um, And any other questions you have, we'll be back on the next episode. Until then, thank you so much for listening. Um, And one thing that uh, you may be wondering about is uh, Mariah Carey's autobiography. We've been talking about talking about it. 
And when we realized that we had, uh, you know, not been ready once or twice, we then decided, and I have to give credit to you because this was your brainstorm, that we should push it to December because who owns December more than she, right? Yes. So uh, finish, if you haven't, the meaning of Mariah Carey or finish listening to it. We'll be back. We promise we are going to break that down in an upcoming episode. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and work hard. Bye-bye. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.